Hello to everyone listening and welcome to the Normless Podcast. After months of development, it's fantastic to finally be airing our first episode. So what is Normless? Well, we want to bring you a series of in-depth conversations with unique people who have had experiences and possess ideologies which go against the norm. We want to challenge your perspectives, as well as have you take away valuable insights and advice that you can apply to your own life. So who are we? I'm Hayden Kelly, and with me is Jack Hasler, two mates from the northern beaches of Sydney who are passionate about how people attract success by doing it differently to others. And these people aren't necessarily well-known. They fly under the radar and achieve outstanding things. Our very first guest is a great example of this. Michael Singe is a good friend of mine, and today we're going to talk to him about his fascinating and powerful journey through tough experiences his perspective on mental health, how he has used performance psychology to improve his training, and take a look at the history and world of bodybuilding. So without further ado, please relax wherever you are and enjoy episode one with today's guest, Michael Singe. You're listening to Normless, a podcast hosted by Hayden Kelly and Jack Hasler. Well, here we go. Here he is, the man of the moment, Michael Singe. Um, now, it's good to have you on the podcast, mate. This is our first episode. So um, I, think, I think the first thing we want to have a, have a bit of a chat about is what you've been up to in isolation. I think that's the big question mm. at the moment. Yeah, look, I'd like to say a whole heap, but uh, there hasn't been much, I guess. <laughs> um, as you probably know, been w- working out with the big man himself over there, Hado. So um, pretty much the extent of isolation, really. Uh, been working a bit recently, but um, yeah, just been enjoying life, chilling out, I guess, like everyone else. It's uh, actually been a bit of a blessing in disguise, to be honest. That's awesome, mate. And it, I think that's the thing, though. Like most people are relishing the opportunity a bit to take a step back and just sort of um take a breath you know not not that frantic pace week to week so i think that's a great thing but the next thing i was going to sort of look at was sort of the gym's open yesterday has anything changed for you are you you know are you still on the same program i know i know the answer to this question but for the people (laughs) i I think we're running the same program but yeah (laughs) um Hedos and I have been training together the last few months, but uh, we did start a new program uh, just this week. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to change it up. Um, now that the gyms are open again, gives us access to all the machines that we've been missing the last few months. So uh, we just hit a leg session today, and that was the first session back for both of us in the gym. Yeah, properly. So um, yeah, it's things are changing, but in a good way, I guess. Yeah. And I think I was just saying to Jack the other day that I think it's been a bit of a blessing in disguise. It's sort of forced people to think outside the box. So, you know, using their resistance bands and other ways to sort of get the same stimulus, although it's not an ideal circumstance, it's definitely, you know, opened people's minds to other ways to sort of keep fit. And I think one thing we were also saying was that a lot of the time, um, you know, in doing so, there might not be as many people that go back to the gyms once COVID's mm. finished. You know, they might have found that they can save money on the gym membership by going for a run outdoors, going to the park and doing some calisthenics or, um, you know, using their resistance bands at home. So I think it's definitely been, you know, you could look at it from the glass half full kind of things or the mm. glass half empty. I think there's a lot of people looking at the good things that have come out of it. Um, so sort of, you know, you, now you're back in the gym, um, and I think Jack will sort of touch on now, but we were there yesterday. Yeah, we, we walked in yesterday, it was expecting to be like, you know, a massive line, and there was four people in there, um, so that was a bit <laughs> of a shock, I mean, not, not, not complaining at all, but, um, you know, it's been interesting, um, looking from afar, um, you know, how the fitness industry is, you know, is it's changed um, because of the last, you know, three, four months, um, you know, and how whether or not 
as many people will be going back because you know they've done they've figured out their programs at home um you know yeah um yeah i think that's the thing as well i mean people like anything i mean i'm a sucker for a good routine you know if i can do the same thing day in day out and i enjoy it um then i'll probably stick with it i think for the average joe who doesn't uh really crave all the machines that we do i think if they've gotten into their own routine at home they're pretty comfortable with it as you said what's the point in you know paying that gym membership every week um and heading there um so i think certainly it could be different for hados and i because i think we love all the difference in machines we love the atmosphere we love the people in our gym which is half the reason i think why people go as a community so i think for people who dread going to the gym or haven't established that um, community feel within their gym, then they're less inclined to go back, as you said. You know, and as a, as a person that, um, you know, yourself that you know, is really, uh, has a good, good structure and routine uh, before all this, you know, the, um, the pandemic hit, uh, how has it you know, affected in any way, um, not just your physical health, but mentally how you've had to adapt and deal with that side of things? It's been, it's been fine for me personally, to be honest. I mean, if anything, it's given me more time to catch up with friends, not necessarily in person, but I think everyone's gotten weirdly used to being over Zoom and that kind of thing. And I think even yesterday, you know, I went out to the pub for the first time in, in months and suddenly everyone wants to go out again. Uh, Socialising suddenly a unique and fun thing to do. So I think definitely the last few months for a lot of people had their challenges. Uh, you know, for introverts, uh, like myself partially who don't mind bit of time alone, it wasn't too bad. You know, I could have uh, people over Zoom and catch up that way. Um, as long as I can do some form of exercise like I was doing here, I'm fine. Um, so really from a personal perspective, um, I didn't really struggle too much mentally, but I think for those who maybe lost their job and didn't have a sense of direction, I think as we'll probably talk about later, you know, we're focusing on mental health, but I feel like not having a goal or drive or ambition is, in my opinion, uh, part of the reason why a lot of people do fall into that trap uh, of depression. So I feel like, yeah, for, for most people who maybe lost their sense of direction, it would have been challenging. There's a bit, there's, there is that big burden with mental health and it's a big issue. Um, a lot of the time people will get into bodybuilding for different reasons. It may be their confidence, um, you know, maybe to release some of that stress through the day or the week that they've had. Um, to let off some steam, it might be simply, you know, makes them feel better. Um, as I said, there's, there's a lot of different reasons that people do it for. For myself, yeah. when I used to play a lot of team sports, I found that something like bodybuilding, it was solely on you. You know, you had complete control over, you know, your performance in the gym and the food you ate and that sort of thing. We're sort of looking more at what, what got you into it when you started. Yeah, I mean, I've been in the gym since I was... 14 or so for other sports. Um, so that was mainly for skiing a bit of cricket. I was in there and I guess I really didn't get into bodybuilding properly till after I left school. Um, yep. I was, you know, kind of doing the thing everyone does in high school, you know, you get some, uh, seven kilo dumbbells, which head us not quite familiar. With. <laughs> uh, I had those back in high school and, you know, would do curls every night, you know, at home, uh, in the hopes of achieving, you know, uh, much better arms, which never eventuated. Um, but I guess I kind of got the bug when um, I was in Austria. I was doing my screenshot course at the time, and my mate was super into the gym. And he took me, and I remember um, just watching him benching a hundred kilos, I think, for five or six reps, and I was just in awe. You know, like I sat there and like, dude, I can't even pick up that weight. That's absolutely mental. Um, and I think he took me through an arm session. And if anyone wants to get into the gym, just take someone and train arms, you know, easy. Um, so I think that's, that's when I really got hooked. Probably the strength aspect more than anything really yeah. just took me back. And then uh, I came back and got into it properly. Um, I got a athlete scholarship to UTS the first year uni, and that came with a free gym membership as well. So I just ended up training there, met, met a bunch of bodybuilders there and we became super close mates. And, uh, from, from then on, I just really got hooked. I trained with them. Uni fell by the wayside, <laughs> fell by the wayside and it was all bodybuilding. Um, 
So I guess in my case, when we're talking about mental health and uh, bodybuilding, mm. mine's probably a rare instance where I know bodybuilding is a saving grace for a lot of people, but um, like when it comes to depression, but for me, if anything, down the line, it led to depression, if that makes sense. Um, because obviously I ended up, um, you know, taking the enhanced route and then having to come off and um, dealing with automates who were going through the same thing who didn't quite make it all the way, you know, and yeah. on around today. So that kind of spiraled into uh, depression itself because um, it's like anything when, uh, like for my mates or partially for myself, I've never had as much of a problem as my mates did with it. Yeah. Um, but when you identify as one thing, like they were big guys and they identified with being big. Um, then when suddenly you are forced to not be big and come off, that can lead to a whole host of problems when you do lose your identity and purpose. Um, but yeah, if you want me to go into more detail about all that, I easily can. I just don't know how much time you have. So I think, I think <laughs> what, what we're sort of looking at there is like, it's, it's, and I definitely think, you know, addictive personalities and bodybuilding sometimes definitely I'm don't mix. Um, we'll talk more about like the history of bodybuilding at the end, but I guess in terms of the mental health, staying the sort of mental health road. Um, yeah. So you've had you've had your a couple of friends who might have had issues with their like steroid use, um, and that's mm. sort of contributed to their depression. Um, mm. Is there anything sort of down that that path that maybe for yourself? Um, do you think? I know now that you're not taking drugs anymore. Do you find that now your mental health's improved a lot more? Yes, uh, yes. But uh, as I'll explain, I don't think that's directly attributed to the steroids themselves. I think that's um, partially down to the mindset and having other priorities in life now. Um, the reason why I got into it originally was obviously my mates were all doing it and we were living a bit of that lifestyle. So uh, at that time, I didn't see any adverse effects. They were all healthy, going out, partying, you know, and still making insane, like insane amounts of progress. And I thought, why not? Um, yeah. yeah. And so I started just after my 20th birthday and then stayed on straight for 18 months. I didn't do it right. I was taking everything under the sun and got up to about 115 kilos uh, with abs or so. And that's probably as big as I got. And then um, mentally, I didn't think I was in a bad spot. Mm -hmm. But um, when you look back, you know, all of my mates were saying, dude, if we die at 25, which is only six months away for me now when I turned 25, we were all okay with that. Um, we were saying, look, uh, if we're living the party lifestyle, we're taking these drugs and we die then, at least we've lived our life, which looking back now is stupid. You don't know what you want at 20 and you think it's okay dying at 25 when now I've had more, more purpose in my life now than ever before. Um, but when it ties into mental health was probably started to decline for me and my mates when, you know, we did have to come off. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why we uh, came off was because our close mate Jonah actually did commit suicide um, just before I went on my f first holiday to Europe. Um, and he left a note behind to his parents, like saying why I did it. And um, in that he mentioned us a bit and the, and the parents kind of shifted their blame onto a lot of my friends understandably um not because they did anything wrong but because the parents always seem to look for something to blame which i totally get um you know and then um they kind of all disbanded around the country or went overseas um because i find a big thing with depression is that people always want to be somewhere else they think being in a different location is going to solve their issue or going back to a place where they had positive experiences but no matter where you move, it, it follows you. And do, do you think, you know, for yourself, reaching that peak, as you said, at 115 kilos, um, you know, in you know, a better way of putting it, but it was a blessing in disguise for the fact that, you know, you you know, you couldn't go any further and it was like it was time to, I guess, um, you know, reevaluate things? 100%. 100%. Um, you know, uh, I had liver problems galore, kidneys, my cholesterol was 11.5. Um, you know, it was insane. And I would have kept going. I had no problem. Um, the only time when 
this was all hitting at once. And I was in, uh, I was in Europe at the time, you know, and um, meant to be enjoying the holiday of a lifetime. And the only thing I could focus on was not being able to go to the gym. You know, I'd, I'd sacrifice, you know, like at that stage, I think, um, extremely fortunate to grow up in this environment, but my parents took us over there because my, my sister just finished high school and that was like a celebration type thing. So I took us around, but I didn't enjoy any place we went just because I would always just say, Hey, I, I'm going to not go skiing today. I'm going to come back early um, from this amazing place and I'm going to go find a gym, literally traveling like an hour or two to go down to a gym in the village and we're staying on the mountain and I would pay 40 Swiss francs, which is 60 Australian dollars, you know, to go for an hour in a gym and then come back up and waste five, six hours of the day. Um, and at that point, I think I knew I had a problem with it. Um, that's when I decided to come off really. I thought if I can't enjoy such yeah, yeah, life and such awesome experiences and there's something wrong. I think, I think, Essentially, what you're saying is, you know, and you've been through a hell of a lot, as we, as we just heard, but in terms of, you know, the aspects of bodybuilding, if you push it to that limit, it sometimes even being about 110, 115 kilos day-to-day life, which we'll talk about towards the end of the podcast, I guess, is a lot harder than most people would think. You know, it's like carrying an extra 20, 30 kilos on your back Walking, walking around up the stairs, going to sleep, doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, but what, what, I, what I'm thinking is, you know, you, you push yourself so hard and it becomes, it's initially it starts as a healthy hobby. And then once you take it to that limit, it can become more on the unhealthy side of things. Once you get into the steroid use and all that kind of stuff. But I guess there's also a really positive side to training. And I think we've, we've found that now and that it's really beneficial for your mental health um you know I, that's probably since day one when i was doing the hsc i was always um you know getting in the gym in the morning or in the afternoon and then that would sort of reset me for the afternoon i could sit down i could refocus i could sort of set my sights on what i need to achieve with my study and sort of also calm me down a bit and relieve some of that stress is that is that something you found now sort of removing yourself from the drug use exercise has become more of a enjoyable thing and more of a stress relief more you're more passionate about it as opposed to something that was like a chore i needed to find a gym i couldn't enjoy myself sure um i wouldn't attribute that just the steroids i'd attribute that mainly to a mindset i think um you know i still genuinely enjoyed training back then if i was at home and, and doing all that but yes i think now you know, in terms of mental health, training is extremely beneficial for me. And I know, if, uh, like for you as well, um, it just gives you structure to your day, um, gives you a purpose in your day. And if you don't have anything else that you're really passionate about during the day, having anything that gives you, you know, that sense of accomplishment is phenomenal for mental health. And, you know, there's been times in the last few years, I've heavily relied on the gym and you know, you can channel all your aggression if you have it um, into your session. You can, you know, just relieve stress, as you said. And I don't think there's many things that can replace that. And that's a really good sort of segue to the next point we're sort of looking at in terms of performance psychology. So we know there's mental health, but in terms of psychology, there's also, you know, your performance psychology. So getting in that headspace where you can sort of attack your workout um, and optimize your performance. I'm sure there's a lot of Olympians out there that will get in that headspace using different strategies, whether that be visualization, um, you know, mental imagery and things like that before they they do their training or before game day. Um, so what I sort of wanted to talk to the listeners about, I know and I've been watching you and some of the strategies you use while training. Yeah, and let me tell you, it is it's awesome to watch, mate. I really admire you and the way you, um, you know, you attack your training. And I really, I really have enjoyed training with you throughout this isolation. Um, Same with you. Same with you. Thanks, mate. But um, this is about you today. And I really we want to get into the meat about where you got this 
strategy from? So the first thing is sort of who you learned it from or who you've been watching and sort of maybe take us through some of the steps you go through. Now, just to provide a bit of background before I hand it over to you. Yeah. Essentially, when we're training, Michael will go in, he'll switch into different gear. So he'll sort of switch into another, it's almost like you're going into another planet. Like you're, you know, you're breathing through your nose, your eyes are rolling in the back of your head, your face goes white. It's, um, it's quite a sight. But t- take us through the steps, mate, and sort of where you learned that from and how you mm. sort of implement that in your training. Yeah, certainly a bit of a sight. I'm not sure if it's a good one. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess where it started from, I don't know, just kind of saying that has been working over time. I know, I think I told you a while ago that um, I think I really started thinking about it was when Eddie Hall, you know, deadlifted 500 kilos and just, you know, I think he talked about how he mentally prepared himself um, for his, you know, his lift. I think he only deadlifted something like 460 kilos before he even tried that 500. Only. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like it's you just baby there, yeah. weight. Pretty much any anyone can do it, but the 500 is just next level. No. Um, but yeah, so I just, I, I was doing it before then, but it's just saying that, I was like, oh, I have a similar process, obviously nowhere near the athlete he is. But um, yeah, it's, I guess when you're talking about the processes, as you said, I think um, literally go to a different place. I think um, the reason why I do it first and foremost is uh, the same reason why we would, I mean, recently in our training, we've been going, starting with 140 kilo squats and then lowering the weight down to 120 instantly and then doing sets of close to 20 reps, right, with 120. And as soon as you pick up the 120 kilos, it feels light, you know, because you've already accustomed your body to the 140. And that's probably because your central nervous system is really fired up and ready to go. So likewise, um, I try and really fire up my central nervous system and get it ready for those big lifts um, by getting myself, for lack of a better word, like really angry and pissed, you know? <laughs> um, so. I guess part of the process is I just, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of hypothetical scenarios, probably a list of five or six total mix of hypothetical and real life scenarios, um, that I just kind of filter through in my head, depending on the day I've had, um, I could be triggered by a certain one a bit more. Um, and before I try and get to that sort of thought process, I try, as Hayden said, to elevate my heart rate breathing through my nose anecdotally is what I find works best for me, breathing heavily um, and also just saturate my body with oxygen to just feel it as best I can. And, uh, and then just really focus on that scenario. Don't think about anything else uh, and just hear the music and let it fuel you. And then before you know it, you do some weird stuff and you're there. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't say it's for everyone, um, for beginners, especially because I think as a safety precaution, you really got to get the movement pattern and the neural adaptation for that movement down pat before you even try this, because you don't want to be thinking about the movement itself when you're in it. You don't want to be thinking about, you know, where the bar's landing on your chest. You don't want to think about, um, you know, way on your heels when you're squatting, you know, body upright when you're deadlifting or whatever, you just want to be able to do that lift and focus in that moment on that lift. Um, and likewise, I wouldn't use it all the time. Uh, as Hayden knows, like um, we use it very sparingly for the major compounds because um, I think it's almost it can- like the boy who cried wolf, isn't it? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> you can only use it a certain number of times until it becomes ineffective. So you've got to really got to pick and choose. Exactly. I, I think I'll, I'll throw it back to you in a sec, but what I was sort of, yeah hinting at was you know there are those scenarios you use so I, there's a few scenarios that I can use but you know my life hasn't been all that bad um, but I know you've been some, through some heavy shit like friends dying suicides that's massive are you comfortable sharing some of those scenarios or do you want to yeah, just look, I mean I mean as I said my life's a pretty open book so I'm happy to share a lot of things there are probably a few of them I'm not but uh, like the rest sure um, I guess you know, I've had, um, I actually, I've had seven mates total, like super close mates die 
from um, all pre-March depression has been five suicides and two overdoses. Um, oh, no, sorry. So four suicides, two overdoses, and one heart attack, which was quite recent. Um, so, uh, you know, there's hypotheticals are quite easy. You can kind of make whatever you feel like on that day. If you're, um, you know, it, like for example, sometimes I picture myself in the middle of a stadium and everyone's watching me trying to do that one lift. That's an easy hypothetical. Um, I've had in real life, I had a girl, um, cheat on me that, that I was quite close to and I wasn't too happy about it. Um, and that kind of gets me fired up sometimes, which I know Hayden tries, tries to psych me up. Go with to that, that one. place, mate. Go to that place. <laughs> Go to that place. Fuck him up. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and then obviously uh, the deaths, I have, you know, some reoccurring nightmares about uh, quite a recent one, like when my mate was, was found. Um, so that just kind of like is a reoccurring thing. And um, that was probably the one that wasn't his choice to go. And, and uh, you know, he was depressed and had a lot of problems, but I don't think his overdose was necessarily intentional. Um, and he was always the one who loved training the most. And, um, like he would always be in the gym and man, like Hados and I are happy in the gym, but this guy, whenever he was in there, just loved it like no one else. And I just think like what he wouldn't give to be here right now, that psychs me up like nothing else, you know? Um, and yeah, there's, yeah. And, and there's a few others probably not comfortable sharing, but yeah. it's, um, yeah, just, and the thing is, as you were saying, Hados, like it doesn't have to be your life doesn't have to be, you know, like messed up. I don't think my life's been hard. You know, I come from a very, you know, privileged background, I guess you could say. Um, and you know, my life hasn't been hard and it's just been recently through my own choices that I kind of messed up. And I think everyone's got something. And even if you don't, you got that hypothetical you can tap into. And do you think, you know, it's, as you're saying, it's pretty, pretty full on and you can only use it, you know, a certain amount of times. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go into that zone and you use, you know, how, how powerful it is and effective, effective it is to use, um, coming out of that, out of that, you know, that mindset, um, have you found it in any way tough at certain times to, you know, come back down to reality really out of that, out of that sort of, um, you know, that area? No, I, um, I, she, Thing is really important as you say something you can't use all the time i think it's really important as soon as you're done switch it off because um i don't think in terms of i know it hasn't been proven like adrenal fatigue and cns fatigue i don't think it's good to be in that mindset for too long and you got to work on really being able to switch it off as soon as you finish your set and that's why i do i think um you know my girlfriend hates it but I have this switch where, you know, I can turn off most of my emotion and she'll show me this hilarious uh, video or whatever. And I can just <laughs> switch off and not laugh. And, you know, it's like a bit just to piss her off. But I think, um, I think you develop that switch just over time. And likewise, you can channel um, like whatever you've been going through the last week or the past day into that little session. And after that, I feel fine. I'm like, I've got it all out. Uh, that's all I need. And, and, you know, if you could give a rough percentage of, um, you know, how much your training, you know, has improved since using it, you know, what would that be? Oh, see, it's not something I just started doing. It's just, you know, one day you go into the gym and you're like, oh, I'm mad today, you know, and then, you know, you lift it a better. So it's, it's not something I actively started doing. It's just something that, crept in if that makes sense so i couldn't give you an exact percentage but without doubt if i try to you know a heavy set of squats for 10 reps in a normal mindset and that mindset i'd say two three reps pretty easily i think you probably agree with me on the fact that you you might quantify it more by your numbers your lifting as opposed to like a percentage um yeah like more, yeah, yeah. yeah the load and the volume of training and like your, your progressive overload, that sort of thing. Um, and it'd be interesting to ask um, Hayden on this as well, because I know you've only really just kind of started trying to get into yeah. it. Yeah. What do you think in terms of how oh, much? I definitely think it's, yeah, no, just 
I think it's like anything in life when you surround yourself with other people and you know you take little things and little bits and pieces from other individuals and you can implement it into your own training um, but essentially the reason we got you on the podcast is because we thought that that psychology behind your training is something that not a lot of people might either be aware of or use you know these days with social media a lot of people go in the gym and they just sit on their phones and scroll through their feed and then they'll do a set but are they really in that set you know is that set their maximal effort or is they just going through the motions so for me it's definitely helped in that respect i was never scroll through social media i might pick scroll through my my playlist of songs and pick a song but yeah, you've always trained hard, yeah. Well, um, yeah, but like, as I was saying, you know, it sort of helps me channel my focus into that set. And I, I have a few scenarios. Um, like, I won't share those. They're nothing too special. But more so, like, you know, people who say you couldn't do something or um, yeah. Yeah. things like that. And you sort of you use that and it sort of fuels your set. And it's more of like a controlled aggression, as you said. But I think if you, ch if you channel it in the right way, it can be a, a helpful or like a positive energy. Um, but yeah, so what we'll move on to now is sort of, I know that you're really passionate about your bodybuilding. Um, and, and we talk, we have a lot of in-depth discussions about, you know, what the best era was, Who's, who had the best physique? So, like, who, who did you look up to? Is there anyone in particular, any physiques that you, Ooh. growing up, thought, you know, that's who I want to be? That's, that's who I like. Uh, I don't know, because I got into the whole bodybuilding history thing a bit, bit later on when I was already really in it. You know, I was, as a kid, I was just really into other sports. So, I never really had a bodybuilding idol, but... I guess if I was to pick my favorite, I think it's pretty hard to go past Ronnie, I'd say, you know, um, just such a charismatic, well, charismatic is probably the wrong word, but just iconic, <laughs> I guess, in bodybuilding, you know, and um, part of that whole era, which I love, which we'll probably get into as well, the kind of 90s, early 2000s, I love. So, and he's pretty iconic there too. So, yeah, I'd have to agree. So that, that sort of feeds into the question on, you know, your favorite era as well. So we sort of looked at the, Ronnie, so it's Ronnie Coleman. Oh, your answer too. We need you guys answer. Yeah, well, for me personally, I I definitely love that era as well. I thought I thought the classic physiques in Arnold's era, you know, sort of set the set the tone. You know, the the slim waist and the V taper. Um, I think these days, you know, maybe the the distensions becoming a bit of an issue around the abdomen. Um, yeah. But I think that sort of changed over, you know, after that sort of, um, you know, moving into past Jay Cutler. But beyond that, I think everyone's sort of, like, they're great physiques. They're doing really well, you know. But I think maybe that, maybe that uh, aesthetics and that symmetry that there used to be has sort of lost its shine a little bit um, with the current crop of, of bodybuilders. Yeah, I, I, I think like what you're saying is totally true. And I think that's why I really love the 90s and early 2000s because I see that as the era just before, I guess you could say in your eyes and probably my eyes, it all went a bit pear-shaped. You know, yeah. I think you still had, I think the 90s were so great because there was a bit for everyone. You know, I think you had the mass monsters. You know, you had Nasser Al-Sambade, you had Yates, obviously, Chris Cormier, I mean, Paul Delette. I mean, what a fucking freak, right? <laughs> like, from the front, he was Mr. Olympia all day, just couldn't post to save his life. Um, and then, you know, you go into the early 2000s, you had Marcus Rule. I mean, come on. Uh, Gunter Schleerkamp, uh, Coleman, obviously. And, yeah. Um, and I think that was the thing, like, Cutler came along and Cutler was pushing it in terms of size and Ronnie sort of had to step his game up again to sort of... Mm. So I think that, you know they started to push the envelope a bit there. And I think, you know, classics sort of having a bit of a comeback now these days as well, but I definitely yeah. think maybe in the middle there. So I think back in about the nineties, as you said, eighties, nineties, I think was the, the era. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, and that's what I was saying. I mean, like 
you had those mass sponsors who I mentioned. Then you also had, as you were saying, the, um, the physiques that I guess the average Joe is probably being a bit generous, but you know, the, uh, the average guy who goes to the gym would probably really love to look like someone like Sean Ray, who who wasn't wearing anything crazy on stage, looking like Flex Wheeler, um, Leela Brada, you know, that those kind of guys who maybe weren't as big, but, um, were very aesthetically pleasing. And I just think the depth of the field in those eras were just insane. I mean, you go, yeah, exactly. You go to an Olympia now and you pretty much know who's winning from the outset and there's no excitement. I mean, you look at the top five back then and you think really, I know Dorian was pretty set in those early years, but after he tore his bicep and after he started to go a bit wrong, you could have put any of those top five in winning spots. So I think that's what made it exciting. I definitely think it's sad as well because we were talking before about, you know, mental health and then Luke Sando as well passing relatively recently. And I think he was a up and coming star, you know, he had that awesome vacuum with the front double bicep and I thought he, he looked incredible, you know, so that's, yeah, that is quite a sad, um, and a sad proposition, you know, the fact that he's gone, he won't be there in the next sort of decade. Um, Mm. But yeah, leading into into the next component, we're going to sort of look at more like your stereotypes around bodybuilding and that sort of thing. I know that we touched on at the start, the drug use, and I know that's a massive one, but is there anything in particular that you find people might throw shots at in terms of the bodybuilding industry without really having their research or their background knowledge in what's really occurring there, what's going on behind the scenes? Sure. I... I mean, I think as we were talking about today as well, because Hayden and I were training, we were talking to the gym owner and that kind of thing. And I think one of the biggest things is, you know, you see these huge guys and you instantly think they're meatheads, you know, they're not too friendly people. But realistically, from my experience, I think big guys are some of the the nicest human beings on the planet. Mm. I think kind of gentle giants is there for a reason. I think anyone who's gotten to that stage of wanting to be that big has gone through something, you know, I think they're feeling insecure in some way. I'm not like demeaning their choice at all. Cause I've been there. Mm. Um, I feel like there's a reason they want to be that person and, you know, uh, portray this tough image because their personality perhaps isn't that way inclined. Um, it's like a defense mechanism and you talk to them, honestly, they couldn't be nicer. I think that's probably the main stereotype that uh, sticks out for me as well as just being, you know, dumb. <laughs> you know, I think yeah. like when you're going to the, the top guys, I mean, these guys have everything. Well educated. You know, so well educated on, you know, exercise physiology and nutrition. Um, it's incredible. So I think people don't give them enough credit for what they do. How have you seen your 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 perspective, social you know social media and you know the digital um, change the bodybuilding industry? Yeah, I mean, I I probably struggle to talk more about the social media stuff because I'm not that involved. I think that's more of a question for uh, like for <laughs> sitting there, the big Instagram style. But um, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of mental health and um, social media, I mean, there's obvious implications. I think no one's going to be posting the stuff that they, you know, that they're really doing what they're really feeling. I think everything's obviously made to be uh, on people's accounts as good as it possibly can be, you know, show all the good times, don't show the bad. And, you know, it might not even be consciously, could be very subconsciously people look at this and say, why is my life not like that? Why can't I look like that? When there's filters upon filters, when, you know, People aren't admitting to taking stuff. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of, of reasons why you can't look like the person on that screen. And I feel like even if you admit that to yourself verbally or uh, it's just still going to creep into your mind somehow. It's almost like a bit of an external locus of control or external um, motive, you know, as opposed to internal. I think probably back in the 80s, 90s, when there wasn't that much social media, I guess most of those bodybuilders were just driven purely by, you know, how much they can improve their performance, how much better they can look each year they step on stage. So I think now, as you said, it's probably more so how they look to others on, on their social media. And obviously 
they can make a lot of money out of their social media, but I think it definitely has changed the game, hasn't it? Yeah. And it's also like for those big personalities on Instagram, I mean, like you're in the public eye, like you're getting lots of backlash from people. I think whenever anyone's envious of what you do or jealous, you're going to get backlash and how you cope with that's down to the individual. But I think even if you look at a modern day champion, like Phil Heath, I mean, he's probably the most hated Mr. Olympia in history. Right. And for what, <laughs> you know, if you stack him up against any era, especially as like 2011, 2013 looks, he stacks up with some of the best. And I think he cops so much hate because, you know, everyone just has that platform now. Like, whereas you go back to the days of Dorian Yates, he would literally lock himself away in England, not, you know, come out for the whole year. I'm here to win again. No, he didn't have to deal with that scrutiny. I guess that, you know, people on Instagram or people on other platforms have to deal with. Yeah. And I think we see that also a lot in you know, other sports as well. Um, mm. You know, something a chat with, about this with a good mate the other day um and you know they said just about really private lives and you go home and you you know come down and you know play whatever sport you're you know you're involved in um, but these days it's it's not it's so hard to keep private with everything being so you know, accessible um online 100 percent. and i think i think the big thing there is that jack's hit the nail on the head in that you pretty much have an insight into everyone's life you know all these bodybuilders before you wouldn't see anything they're doing now you're pretty much front row front and center every day you can see what they're having for breakfast what they're having for lunch you know what they're doing for their training so it's all there and i think that links back to our point before um looking at our favorite eras because i think in the 80s 90s when you didn't have as much social media um you know and some of those images as well on stage that's the that's the peak of their conditioning of their shape throughout their prep leading up to that comp and they've a lot of the photos that we see from the 80s and 90s are those stage shots and yeah. that's when they're at their peak their peak you know whereas now we see all of, all them all yeah. year yeah. all season round yeah and just get they just get pulled apart all year so i think do you think maybe the reason that we think the 80s and 90s was so much or well not so much better but the reason we sort of look at it is maybe for that reason you know we don't see all the the bad stuff in between. We only see, you know, the, yeah. the stage shots. And a lot of the time they had a, a filter on them anyway. You know, they're all... Yeah. And I think, you know, like probably the most recent example of that would be Sean Roden. I know when, you know, he was posing in the off-season, he's renowned for getting a bit, you know, flat and a bit chubby, you know, here and there. Um, and I think he did a, a few guest posings as Mr. Olympia and he looked for a Mr. Olympia terrible to the average Joe amazing. But I think he copped a lot of backlash for that, you know, and it really hurt him. So um, also all the other stuff going on with the allegations as well. You know, I feel like um, everyone's under scrutiny. You do one thing wrong, um, you know, and you're done for really. Done. Um, it's even you're seeing now on probably not a bodybuilding related topic, but say you tweet something or post something on Instagram and it comes back to haunt you, like what happened to Kevin Hart, you know, whatever, like years later, you know, and I think um, it's really a totally different age, I guess. And also, you know, in, in, in that, in that age, you know, the social age as well, um, you know, the on Reddit boards and, you know, on different, different sites, you know, about, you know, people posting their opinions on, you know, performance enhancing drugs um, and, not having used it, you know, they, you know, assume they see mm -hmm. all these bad stories about people abusing, you know, performance enhancing drugs, and then they build their opinion off that. I guess I wanted to get your perspective yeah. on that. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's a great point to raise. There are so many misconceptions on that front. Um, I think they demonise such an extent. I mean, even the common one of roid rage just isn't a thing, you know, um, unless you're taking something heavy like trend, I never experienced it. Um, and then, you know, it's just, I can't even begin to think the amount of stereotypes that come with it, you know, um, it's, it's just perceived as this evil drug that's going to, you know, rob you of your sex drive and, um, which 
does the opposite in a lot of cases and turn you into an angry meathead and make you die at age 25. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's a very responsible way to do it. I wouldn't say I did it responsibly. I had all the knowledge to do it responsibly. Um, but I was in a mindset where I didn't want to. Um, and I genuinely think that there's a way to do it properly if you want to go down that route. And it's a very big decision to make. I would not take it lightly because uh, what's happened with me now, uh, if you want to know the, the, the story coming up to, to now, it's not just as simple as coming off. You know, for some people it is, and your natural levels can return really quickly. But for me, um, I was on it for a length of time and I tried to come off. I went and saw an endo, uh, did it all properly, but I had seven months where I was trying to come off and get my natural test levels back and it didn't happen. Um, and that and those seven months were hell, you know, um, to have no testosterone walking around like an 80 year old man trying to do everyday life, doing work, uni, working out, it's not easy. And it ended up never coming back for me. And so now I have, um, care doctor's prescription for testosterone placement therapy. And that's what I do. And I face the reality of having to inject myself. It's, every two, three months now, which isn't bad, but for the rest of my life, you know, um, I think people really need to think about the repercussions about going down that route because it's something I wish I hadn't taken lightly. I have no regrets in doing it, but I feel like, um, if you're going to do it, do it right. Yeah. And consider if you even want that in the first place. I think it's, um, a great point you raised and it's awesome that you're so open to it. You know, a lot of people I think are, worried what people think about their perspective on the issue so it's great that you're up front and I think that's awesome um, but what I wanted to sort of touch on was you know I think when we look at these people who are taking steroids for other reasons as well and also pairing that with with your party drugs you know mm. like ecstasy yeah. and all those sort of things I think typically the people who come under fire aren't the ones who you know, face the brunt of the issue. I think the younger individuals that pair their drugs with, pair their steroids with their party drugs and they're just doing it purely for the sake of looking good at music festivals and all that sort of thing are mm. typically the population that, you you know, I think they've brought the bad image or the bad name 100%. upon these bodybuilders who are generally doing it in safe amounts. And you look at guys... Um, at the top of their game, like um, Josh Lenardowitz in Australia. Um, mm. And, you know, he's got, he's got kids, he's got a family. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have near the amount of health issues that a lot of these guys that, you know, they just don't have any uh, background knowledge on how to use it. And they're just, you know, doing it here and there and pairing it with other drugs and sort of using it in a recreational setting for mm. different motives, um, and that sort of gets them into trouble. Would you agree on that? hundred percent. I think that's also probably, I know I keep thinking of random things, but uh, it's probably one of the big stereotypes or misconception about professional bodybuilders. Part of genetics is how well you respond to those drugs. And I think a lot of the, the best bodybuilders in history simply haven't needed much, you know, um, you know, even talking about Luke Sando and his passing, everything's coming out now and his friends talk about it pretty openly. Those top pros, if they are genetically gifted, they are not on very much, you know, yeah. um, at all. So and I think for the average show to compensate, that's when stuff happens. You look at someone like Boston Lloyd, I'm not going to name them more names, that was stupid, but, you know, he's, um, you know, he was all over YouTube taking doses that, no one should ever take, you know, and I think that sends the wrong message when especially he's nowhere near the size of a professional bodybuilder. It sends the message then like, well, if he's taking all this stuff and he looks like this, yeah. what are all the professionals taking to look like this? When in reality, uh, number one, they probably train a lot harder and a lot smarter and their genetics are just superior. Um, and I think that's a really good point you make because half the time, half the battle is, is your training intensity, your nutrition, how much sleep you get. And all these big bodybuilders have got it down to a T. Um, and I think that's, a re that's another reason why we got you on the podcast because you know, you're, you're someone that I see in my circle of friends um, who's doing things a lot differently to most. You are disciplined with your nutrition, your training, your sleep, 
and you're probably the only person I probably know that's sort of more on top of things than I am. And I really admire that about you. I think we're the same, mate. Okay, you take it just as seriously as I do. It's it's awesome to see, and that's why I love training with you and hanging out because, you know. You, mate, you are, you really, and it's really inspirational. It's really motivational to watch. I think you, you epitomise what this podcast is all about. Um, but can you tell the, the listeners a bit of, bit more about what they do, what you don't actually see i know a lot of people when they picture bodybuilding the first things i'll picture is you know you got to be in the gym for two three hours a day um mm. you know you're using those drugs but yeah behind the scenes you know there's other things like your meal prepping um you're making sure you're eating the right foods at the right times you're getting enough sleep um mm. can you tell our listeners a bit more about that sure i think one thing Hayden and I have noticed over the last, especially, you know, eight weeks or so training in isolation was um, that you never, you could think you know everything there is to know about training and nutrition and turns out you really don't. Um, because we've been running the program the last eight weeks and I thought on paper it looked great, but, um, you know, something as simple as training too hard, people think yeah, you can't do that. Uh, I think we ran into that problem, you know, we were training legs and all the big compounds way too high because we didn't have access to machines that we fried our central nervous system. And I didn't make progress on, you know, our bench press days for 16 consecutive sessions, you know, um, and I had to cop all the of, yelling and screaming and <laughs> fuck, so I was angry. Was a bit of what's a wrong with it, bro. What's wrong? Everything One fucking rep. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as you said, there's a lot of things that goes behind the scene. I mean, um, even though, work that went into this program, you know, um, as you know, I have a training log, nutrition log, uh, sleep log, feeling log, you know, at the end of every week I sit down, I put it into a binder and, um, essentially have all the data there laid out from my fitness pal, uh, a diary of how I'm feeling that week, how training was, how much I slept on average, all my lifts in the gym. And then as soon as I make a new program with a specific goal and, uh, then I, look through all that data and say, what can I do? What's worked for me in the past? And then kind of apply that to the new program. As Hayden knows, there's a lot of food involved. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. I think that's the biggest mistake uh, people make and probably mistake I occasionally still make too, is just not eating enough. I mean, I'm on 6,000 calories a day at the moment, as Hayden knows, and he's eating big as well. Um, and it's just not the number of calories. It's your macro breakdown. It's what you eat, when you eat it, um, that's something both of us think about, you know, I think over the course of these last eight weeks, we've constantly tried to push our meal before leg day back by like an hour every single fucking week. And we still end up almost puking. So, um, I think it's just, uh, really preparing meals, as you said, meal prep happens every week. You know, you eat at a top where you don't have to, but it makes life a lot easier. I find, and I have a passion for cooking as well. So that kind of helps, but even sleep, you know, you have to, if you go and do it right and recover properly, you know, you have to limit those crazy nights out. You know, you have to make sure you're getting on average eight hours sleep. There's just so many things that tie into it. And once you get to that intermediate advanced sort of level where all those little intricacies add up, it all changes. Um, yeah. And you're just not going to make progress once you reach that stage. And I think that's a lot of, I have a lot of mates who have reached that intermediate to advanced stage and just haven't progressed for years on end because they haven't taken that next step. And I think that's something very few people understand. Yeah. You know, making that sacrifice, I think is a lot admirable. bigger. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's admirable because it's a lot bigger than people think to reach that next step uh, where people don't, you know, not many people go and, you know, you, you talk about, you know, the, the importance of your diet and, you know, how, how much focus you put on you know diet and making sure that you know it's you're most effectively achieving progression um you know and what it can seem quite daunting for people is starting out um you know they with the internet these days is so many suggestions of which foods do what and you know what advantages they provide and etc etc for you what's you know what's some of your staples in your diet that um you use to i guess you know you know, get stronger. 
and not laughing because it's going to sound so basic. But salt. it's just giving rice a lot of salt and a lot of oats. So um, it's, uh, I wish I could give you a, a superfood that I ate that's just, you know, leads to all your gains. But I think ultimately it doesn't matter what the foods are for everyone. I think whatever digests well, I think that's something that everyone overlooks. Like whatever digests well for you, whatever works for you, is the diet that's going to be best for you. I think same with training. Everyone, you know, it's super cliched and you hear it all the time, but what's the best training program? It's the one you'll do. What's the best diet? It's the one you'll stick to. Um, and everyone's going to have their best way of doing things and there's no cookie cutter program. I don't think anyone can give that will fit necessarily everyone. Um, it's taken me personally years to be where I'm at and I don't think I'm anywhere near optimal yet. Um, and I'm not sure if Hayden feels the same way or even you feel the same way, Jack. I know it's just a work in, in progress always, but yeah, I mean, my staples, chicken and rice, oats every day. Um, and in different forms, I mean, have oat cookies, which, you know, or just bowl of oats, chicken and rice with, I don't know, occasionally different toppings and meats. You mix it up. <laughs> but yeah. Like I think what the, what the viewers, we won't go into too much detail here, but I think the viewers need to understand as well. You're a great, you're a great cook as well. You've got your own, own cookie business. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll uh, put the Instagram link and um, your website in the the show notes at the end. Oh, I think, a hobby. Yeah. I think, I think, as I was alluding to before, you know, you were the perfect candidate for our podcast for the reason that I think you know, you break that mold in terms. Of you're willing to speak about your experiences. And you're able to shed some information that can help others, whether that be through mental health issues, through, you know, performance psychology. So whether that be switching into gear, using different scenarios, learning off different people like Eddie Hall. But then also from a bodybuilding perspective, I, I love your discipline. Um, I love everything you're about. Um, you know, you don't dwell on mistakes or things, you know, you get annoyed at yourself, but you pick yourself up and you move on. And that's yeah. really admirable, mate. Um, do you have someone right. that could have been a professor at uni or someone you follow, um, you know, on YouTube or social media, but either a, your favorite mentor and maybe a quote they have or... And that could be in the bodybuilding space, you know, like yeah. what, something that, you know, yeah, as Satan said, really helped motivate you. Yeah, I think, oh, look, there's lots of bodybuilders I look up to, um, recently, probably Seth Ferrosi, I really like, he keeps it real. Um, in terms of, and there's heaps of other YouTubers and everything who are all great. Um, I think, uh, quotes, I think probably some that stick out to me. Um, I had some in school that I was really into. It was like, uh, it was don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you sow. And I think that's, you can kind of tie that into bodybuilding as well. Like don't, I guess when you do have those bad days, it's not, you're not going to be hitting PRs every day. You're not going to wake up the next day, you know, looking exactly like you want to or in a better mental space, just focus on doing the little things each day to reach that take, big goal. Take the good with the bad. Take the good with the bad. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's, that's really good. Yeah. And you know, um, what about sort of, you touched on, you know, there's some quotes um, that really stood out for you, but um, what's the best, um, you know, piece of advice or two pieces of advice um, you can think of? To give to like a, anyone yeah, listening. Someone starting, maybe starting if out. Maybe they're starting out in the gym, yeah. Or. Yeah, I mean, um, saying I guess I'd, I wish I'd done myself was probably follow your dreams early on. I know it sounds super cliched, but it's so true. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of it or how much money you're going to make. I wish, you know, I mean, I mean, right now for me, I mean, I have a degree. I, you know, um, did pretty well in school. I did everything I was meant to take the boxes, but in hindsight, you know, now my goal is in a few years to have my own cafe and I was too scared not to go to uni or I was too scared to really, pursue the gym and tell everyone that's that's what i was doing because i worried what other people would think and it's not all my friends went off to business school um or to uni and so did i like my first year in um uni was was business based and um i just wish i'd had the balls to kind of say here's what i really like doing and if you do that 
I think regardless of what it is, people will respect passion and people will respect what you're doing. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, I think that's... And the, and it, yeah, absolutely. And in the bodybuilding, bodybuilding space as well, um, what are what some of the one or two things you think attributes to, you know, really getting that, um, that drive and process going? You know, would it be consistency? You know, you hear about people saying there it takes what 21 days to the quote form a habit form a habit and yeah then... yeah yeah um i don't want to drive anyone into bodybuilding i think it's something that like trust me i want people in bodybuilding <laughs> but it's more so like if you love doing it then yes um and if you don't then no but i think if you do love it some things you can do um is just be consistent you see so many people um, kind of do two, three months solidly and look great and then think, well, sweet, I'm done. You know, I'm ready for summer. And then um, just kind of do something else for a few months and then come back to it and then just never make progress. Yep. You're going to do it. Like it takes so much time and, and your effort. Why not do it right? Yep. You know, and it's something that you're not going to get anything out of if you do it half ass. So just train hard and eat well. Yep. and eat enough definitely and you will be surprised at how quick everything comes yeah definitely and i guess it's not like bodybuilders aren't necessarily bad people because they want to lift weights and use those drugs but that's their choice isn't it if they love that you know you can't break them down and tear them ah. to pieces that's what they want to do that's that's what they're passionate about then you know all the success to them so that's a good point yeah. mate um so how can our listeners stay connected with you? As I mentioned, you've got your cookie business, but you know, if they want to, if they want to uh, get some of their cookies and let me tell you. These, On the day of his show, this guy monstered cookies. They, oh, we might, maybe we'll put the photo of me smashing the cookies on our Instagram <laughs> feed when we upload this episode. But mate, they were fucking unreal. <laughs> so good. What's in them? What, chalk chip? Uh, yeah, we have a, a few different ones. It's more of a, a hobby kind of thing at the moment, but um, yeah, we do like a truck trip walnut. We do um, all the all the flavors are called it like it's complicated. We've got um, like an option where you can trust us on your toppings. You can like pimp them out with whatever chocolate bar you want, and then you can choose how you want them cooked. You know, because we there's a quite a disparity. You know, some people like their cookies in my opinion overcooked and crunchy, but you know, uh, and some people like them pretty much like dough so you can choose how you want your cookies cooked and that kind of thing um and that's just something that did help us like support through uni and something it's mainly my girlfriend to be honest she's she's the baker and i'm more the cook so um she does those incredibly um and it's just a bit of a, a side hobby to keep things interesting and something also else to- that you're passionate about i guess yeah yeah oh yeah and you know i, I love all forms of cooking as I said, I want to open a cafe in a few years' time. And I do also have another Instagram for like food stuff. But So what just... what is it, mate? Can you just what yeah. are the like the Instagram handles so people can find you? We'll put them in the show notes, but just to mention it here. Sure. It's uh it's Cornerstone Cookie. Yeah. And then the food one is Value Eats. Value uh, Eats. So yeah. we we might move on to um, you know, what your plans are coming up because we're just just over an hour now we might start to wrap things up but sort of what's next for michael um you know whether that be are you going to do some more study you know you mentioned your cookie business or your baking you want to open up a um a little business yeah and also i guess also beyond that as well um you know what the goals are for the next two years in the bodybuilding space you know if it's sure. a certain physique a certain goal um you know a lift you know um, I think goals for the next few years, I think I'm still wholeheartedly committed to, um, my goals in the gym, which at the moment will shift quite shortly into a powerlifting kind of, uh, theme for next year. I want to compete in a, uh, powerlifting comp probably next year. And then after that, Hayden and I will maybe considering prepping for a show together yeah. at some point, we'll see. Um, but yeah, in terms of the gym, I have certain lifts I want to accomplish and see how strong I can get. Cause it's always. I think I've always been reasonably strong, but never trained for it specifically. So um, I think that'd be interesting to see where that goes um, and just keep progressing if I can. Um, 
which would be tough, but we'll see how we go. And then in terms of life goals, uh, my girlfriend still has a few years of uni left. And um, after that, I mean, okay, right now I'm, I'm actually working in some cafes in the kitchen trying to get some experience and um, doing that and like four different cafes whenever I can. And in the meantime, trying to do that as much as I can, as I said. And then in a few years, once she finishes, she's doing her teaching degree and she'll want to teach somewhere semi-rural. And at that stage, if I feel comfortable opening uh, a cafe or something, I feel like I have all the experience I need then I would love to do that and see where that goes. Yeah, awesome. Mate, I love it. You've got so much on your plate. You're passionate about everything. I'm it's yeah, unreal. A lot, and a lot, of, <laughs> lot, like metaphorically and literally, yeah. So um, that's awesome, mate. And thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I know Jack, this is the first time Jack's met you too, so we'll have to uh, yeah. tee something up in the future, but yeah. thanks yeah. for coming on. Yeah, and thanks for having me on, guys. It's- Felt like I talked way too much and didn't let you guys talk. No, no, that's, the, that's the whole point <laughs> of it, you know. We don't want to hog it. So, yeah. um, you no. know, I think I think it's really good. You know, that's I'm sure people have really gotten something out of it. Um, you know, just in life um, and also in bodybuilding, but really and being open as well as Hayden said before um, and talking about that because you know it's a you know we'll plug as well. We'll plug a few. Um, plug a few websites um, for mental health yeah. um, as well, like, you know, Beyond Blue um, and IOK, because I think, you know, Black Dog, especially, yeah, Black Dog, especially yeah, with men, fine. really, you know, the past few years with those um, institutions becoming a lot bigger on um, mm-hmm. the public eye, you know, it's been the fact that a lot of people just don't talk about it, men, you know, they it's, pride's a, pride is a huge thing and that's really a slippery slope, I think, so. Yeah, I think just the more people can talk about it, the better i know it's it's actually changing so much the last few years and just in the same token i know like um it's hard for people to to reach out and i know people don't have a lot of people to reach out to sometimes reaching out to friends can be harder like than reaching out to a stranger so by that token you know if people want to reach out to me however they can um i'd be more than happy to talk to anyone going through struggles because I'd much rather that and help one person than someone, you know, hold it in and who knows what happens. So I think likewise, everyone just needs to get out there and talk about this stuff more. Well said, mate. So we'll, um, for anyone who's listening at home, we're going to pop Michael's contacts or his handles in the show notes, but we'll also pop the black dog beyond blue. Are you okay? So that you can get in contact with those services you know, if you're if you're seeking help yeah. with your mental health, and you know, it, it is as they say, it it isn't weak to speak. Um, you know, if you are going through tough times, particularly in the current circumstances, um, please do either contact Michael or any of those services there, and make sure you speak up and get help because it's definitely a, a challenging time, a challenging topic. But thanks for speaking about it today, mate. Awesome having you on. Get back to your chicken. <laughs> See you, mate. Thanks, well, you're not Thanks bud. All right. See you, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Normless Podcast. If you or anyone you know has an interesting story that you think displays the traits of being normless, please contact us through normlesspodcast at gmail.com. In order to stay up to date with the latest news about the podcast and to never miss when a new episode is being released, please follow us at Normless Podcast across all social media platforms. To find out more about our guests today and how to contact them, please look in the episode description.